0: To FC, a team with a new direction after an off-season makeover. It's an all Canadian affair. Matt working against Morgan. Puts it across the ball. It's yes! Make those rainbows in my mind When I think of you sometime And I want to have some time with you
1: Just the two. Welcome to the Two Solitudes Podcast. I'm Dwayne Rollins with Kevin Laramie. Today is a wonderful day in the city of Toronto, people. It's a day that we get to say goodbye to one of our greatest embarrassments. I am, of course, referring to TFC.
0: (laughs) Ah, thought you were talking about some provincial politics with Doug Ford leaving and everything, or Doug Ford coming in and Rob leaving.
1: Yeah, no, no. Well, it's also Election Day, and we get to get rid of that embarrassment as well. Uh, And if you are listening to this in the city of Toronto, by all means, go out and vote, for God's sakes. (laughs) I mean, I'm not – I am politically minded, but I don't talk about politics in public all that often because it's a quick way to lose followers. But uh, I think most of us with sensible minds can agree that we need to get rid of that zoo at City Hall, and I don't care who you vote for, Chow, Tory, uh, whoever, just – get rid of him and uh, move on but anyway um unfortunately today we, we Kevin and I we, we recorded a, a great interview with uh with Charles uh, Bowen uh he's a freelance writer in DC writes for Soccer Wire for MLS soccer uh, for us soccerplayers.com uh, uh great guy great interview Sound was corrupted, and we didn't find that until after we uh, we lost Charles on the line, and he has a flight to catch. So we weren't able to rebuck that, so we'd like to apologize to Charles for that. We'd like to apologize to you, the listener, for that too, because it was a really good interview. It was.
0: Uh, I feel bad. It was probably the best radio segment in the history of radio, but unfortunately, it was uh, the sound got corrupted, and it's a computer mistake, nothing to do on Charles' end at all. We'd like to apologize, like Dwayne said, I would like the person to personally apologize to Charles as well. You can. Get the Charles on Twitter, Charles c on Twitter. And uh, he's a great follow, read his stuff. And uh, again, Charles, I'm so sorry.
1: Yeah, and that's a C B O E H M, And uh, we do recommend him uh, him a lot for that. So we'll try and get him on next week. He's, he's DC-based. Uh, a lot to say about DC United, about their amazing turnaround season um, and, and just whether he thinks that they have what it takes to finish that job and to get back to an MLS Cup final. On that note, Kevin... Um, we're going to set up the West playoff tomorrow. Uh, we had a, a guest uh, booked for today that uh, that uh, we couldn't get a hold of, actually. So we're going to try and get a hold of them again, and uh, if not, then we'll we'll certainly get someone else in. But uh, more to the point, Kevin, we're going to do a special show tomorrow. It focuses entirely on the White Caps and the West playoffs. We'll do we'll preview the West playoffs a little bit more in detail, sort of within the context of the White Whitecaps. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to focus in on the on our Canadian. Um, cousins out there uh, who have uh, made the postseason for the second time uh, with a big win this past weekend, uh, eliminating Portland in the process. So we will put a lot of focus on that tomorrow. Um, additionally, this week, Kevin, uh, we will also put a show out to break down the impact and TFC. Uh, going to be a lot of shows this week. Uh, you know, some of them might even get pushed to next week, but we're going to break down. I think each each team kind of deserves its own special show, right? And absolutely, they do. Okay, so we will be doing that later this week. Uh, After we take a quick break right now, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about the women, um, their game against Japan, sort of what that means moving forward. Uh, a little bit about their marketing versus reality that's going on out there uh, and Kevin and I will also uh, give our overview thoughts on on the uh, MLS playoffs where we think is going to happen and then of course we'll wrap everything up in our third segment with a very brief uh, sort of around the around Canada MLS NASL uh, review the last uh, of the season we can say y- yeah we won't be doing that as a regular feature in the off season. obviously we'll uh, We'll have to figure out our format uh, for for the offseason, but uh, we'll continue through that, folks. We're not going to take a hiatus because God knows what what else would we do. Um, <laughs> who knows? Anyway. All right. I'm rambling. Take a quick break. <laughs> and we're back and uh, – wanted to talk about the women's national team uh, games uh, they kind of fell out of the radar with like sort of tfc exploding and and the mls playoffs starting and the eddies going in edmonton and a lot of people i think kind of forgot about um about the women's playing their, their two games against japan this week that's unfortunate because there's a world cup in less than a year and we need to prep these games and uh if you didn't see the game um You might want to close your eyes when you watch it because it wasn't all that pretty, Kevin. It was a 3-0 victory for the Japanese, the defending uh, world champions, the silver medalists uh, at the Olympics. Just really demonstrated that that gap to the top is still pretty big for the Canadian national team.
0: Would you consider it a wake-up call? Maybe a reality check?
1: Well, I, I think that they should know where they stand. But the unfortunate thing is, Kevin, I don't know if you've heard... Uh, john herdman was talking before the game and he was once again sort of dropping this idea that canada was preparing and working towards playing in the final in, in, in bc place here that's he keeps seeing that line oh, we're going to be back at bc place next july uh playing for a world championship and i just don't look i understand that things can happen in sports and the ball is round and all that sort of stuff uh, and certainly a year out of the olympics no one would thought that they had a chance to um to go on a medal run and they did there uh i have pointed out many times how when you look at that medal run, you shouldn't be blinded by it because there was a lot of luck involved. Uh, There was really only one solid performance in that game that resulted in a win uh, that was against uh, Team GB. Uh, They didn't beat the U.S. I like to remind people every so often it was an exciting game and they played very well, but they lost 4-3. However, this idea, it just seems even less realistic to me because the Olympics are a different kind of tournament than a World World Cup. The format
0: is easier a little bit than a World Cup
1: yeah, and uh, there's no third best third-place team. Well, there is a best third-place team uh, advancement from this. I shouldn't say that. There's a, a, the 24 teams in this World Cup. Uh, there's going to be, Canada's going to be seated, so they're going to have a bit of an easier draw in the group. But once you get past that group stage, when you get into a Final 16, a Final 8, it's going to be tough matches for Canada. And and I just don't see them being able to to live up to these expectations that her is putting on them by saying these things.
0: And I was surprised to be fair to hear Herdman say that because Herman was the one who was trying to damper the expectation during the whole U-20 tournament. He was like saying, we're building up, we're slowly getting there, but he was trying to prepare everyone for to be realistic with their expectation. And now, chaining his song, eh, I'm surprised.
1: And I wonder, Kevin, when I hear him say things like this, because I've talked to John Herman enough uh, to know that he's a really smart guy. He is. And he's not unrealistic. And he, for years... In press calls, he kind of downplayed stuff, and he sort of talked about the process and how it was a long way and how they needed to play to their highest level uh, level of expertise to, to to win. And I mean, it's a fine line. As a, as a manager, you don't want to ever completely dismiss and ruin people's confidence, but at the same time, you have to be realistic. But I, I can't help but think that maybe someone on the marketing side of things is talking to John Herbman and saying, you need to hype this up. Because if you look at the crowd, Kevin, mm-hmm. that was at the game in Edmonton, it wasn't a terrible crowd, but it wasn't a great crowd either. And it was kind of made up out of those sort of WO-SO real like fans, like like they love women's soccer and they're only women's soccer fans, and they don't go to men's soccer games and they don't go to club soccer games, but they go to national team women's games because that's their team. They love that team and they they're huge fans of that team. And that that is the the bread and butter of the, of women's soccer around the world. There there's a lot of people that are that fit that criteria that really are massive women's soccer fans and they will make up a big percentage of any crowd. And then you have, you know, a good 15, 20% maybe are national team fans. And again, these are people that will always go to games and you can always count on them. And then the rest of the crowd was filled out with some club tickets and things like that. But what we were missing uh, were the general public, I think. Mm -hmm. And, right?
0: That, that's what I heard on on Twitter. That's, I've seen a chatter on Twitter from the people we actually know in Edmonton as well, where they were saying that Edmonton had a good reputation for a couple of matches that were really have a great crowd. But in reality, what we saw this week is more what we can expect for a midweek game or a weekend out of nowhere during the regular hockey and regular season. That's what we can expect in Edmonton.
1: Yeah, and... You know, and in fairness, they do. Uh, it was a weekend though, so I'm not going to give them too yeah. much of an excuse. That it started uh, at would have been at three uh, o'clock local time, so it's not yeah. a bad time for a weekend game. The weather was a little bit cold. They were wearing gloves. gloves some of the players out there. It's Edmonton, and it's almost November, so you can expect <laughs> that. Uh, but yeah, it was. Again, I don't want to crap on them because the people that went, they went, and it wasn't empty. Uh, Como Stadium is so vast that yes. even a decent crowd is going to look kind of crappy. Uh, that's just the reality of it. But the point of making is that you kind of need to pump up the hype if you're going to fill that up for next year's World Cup. Sure. They need the home team. They need to have this realist. It's cognitive a distance like most sports fans, right? It's like why Toronto Maple Leafs people keep buying tickets year after year because they believe that maybe somewhere down the line they might win. It's never going to happen, but you have to convince yourself on some level that it might, Right. So that's kind of what, what I think that they're doing. They're trying to convince those that aren't necessarily diehards, either of women's soccer or the national team, to to buy in to the idea that Canada go to a World Cup. I just don't, you know, and on that level, I don't know whether it matters whether they be realistic as long as those within the soccer community understand what the realistic expectations are because once the hype of that is over, it's... The, the people that are going to matter are the people that are there year in, year out anyway. And if, as long as they're not disappointed by the performance next summer, you know, I think it's fine. So I, I guess in, on some level I can understand why Herdman is, is talking in those ways and I can understand uh, why they would want to hype it up to try and sell a few more tickets.
0: And I guess it's that reason. It's the only one I can see. Because But there's two ways to think about that, too, because if I think about you. If your be-all, end-all is that World Cup in 2015, and if you don't think past it, you're trying to build up your program, but build the support for a program, become a great fan supporting for that program, but then you let people believe that you're going to win and you're going to be eh. and Then if you finish 10th and you barely move on, well, what message does that bring for the future of that program and for the future of the supporters of that program? That that's uh, That's how I see it as well. You need to think about maybe after 2015 because it's already in a year from now a year from now the world cup's over
1: yeah yeah and suddenly if you look at the women's game across the board they're improving on a lot of levels uh i would love to see canada play at costa rica in the near future i don't know we, you know if john herdman if you're listening yeah but he is but if he is uh, i do encourage you to actually to book a game against uh, costa rica because they they, they qualified through um, as the second place team in CONCACAF along with the US and Mexico this past weekend uh, Trinidad and Tobago got the uh, the playoff spot which is a great little story maybe we'll touch on that in a little bit um, after that but I th- I would really just love to see where Canada stacks up whether I have this the sneaking suspicion that, the, that those kind of teams are kind of catching up a little bit to Canada on a technical level and if that happens then we could be in trouble moving forward I have said a lot that Right now, this current generation, the so-called the bronze generation, if you, if you like, uh, that sort of came of age during the um, the U-20 World Cup back uh, a decade, a bit ago, they're almost done. And I, I think a lot of them are probably going to retire uh, after the Olympics in this cycle. And once that happens, I think that next generation is going to be in top to qualify for World Cups. They're not necessarily going to be sliding into that number two CONCACAF position anymore. And that's kind of why I want to see Canada play Costa Rica in the next little while, just to see where they stand up Uh, might be an interesting match there. Um, Kevin, I guess from that note, uh, you know, I'm not going to break down the game too much. I think uh, Melissa Tancredi came back and played really well, had a goal that really should have counted. That's kind of a promising sign because she was really the key to the bronze medal uh, run to to take some of the pressure off Christine Sinclair Um, because Christine Sinclair... Is not getting any younger. We'll say there's a lot of wear on that body. She gets beat up a lot the way she plays, she and she gets played.
0: two, or three defenders on her all the time. Too.
1: Yeah, you need to take some of the pressure away. You need secondary scoring, and uh, since the Olympics, Canada has struggled to find that. So to, for Tancredi to, to get her head to that ball, and again, it should have counted. Um, which, you know, as a quick aside, it was a terrible referee. Uh, if you haven't seen it what happened is that the, the referee overruled a non-call by the lines person who was the lines person's job is to be in position to see the line and the lines person quite correctly called the play onside because it was yet the referee that was a good 10 yards behind the play somehow took it on her own to call something that offside that wasn't and um, to me this strikes me as inexperienced and it comes into this devil, double-edged sword when you're talking about women's refereeing. They made made it a priority to give women's referees the jobs against top-end women's, in top women's competition. And I think on one side, that's a really good thing to do, and it's really should be applauded to try and get the women's referees up to an equal level. But on another level, when you get to the top-end of competition, I question whether it's appropriate and whether they shouldn't just have the best referees, period, regardless of gender out there. Um, it's it's tough because you got to get them experience before they can get that good. But at the same time, are we losing some of the competitiveness? Are we we hurting the competitive nature of the game by, by having less experienced referees out there? I don't know what the answer is, Kevin.
0: Well, I think so. I think yes. I think we said that the turf should be equal for both. Well, the referee, as a neutral part of every game, should be the best referee available for, for those competition disregarding the gender. Because at that level, at this type of competition, gender of referee doesn't really matter. It's the uh, the the abilities and the skills and the, the reputation of referee that's needed.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and it's tough because and again, the turf is the good comparison. And don't worry, folks, we're going to talk about turf in a second. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, you know, and there's a debate to be had there about whether, in fact, uh, turf is an inferior superior uh, inferior surface and that, that's the root of whether it's discrimination or not. And we've had this conversation a lot of times before, um, perception versus reality and all those sort of things. But it, it's, it's the same with the referees, only I think that it's an easier for us to see, uh, you know, we it's easier to see missed calls than it is to see exactly what it is about turf that players find offensive and then you kind of have to rely on, on some an objective uh third party independent research to look at that sort of stuff i think i don't know complicated stuff anyway kevin up run the bumper All right, folks, Uh, look, there really shouldn't be an update today, but the women kind of forced their hands to have an update because they released, uh, basically reached out to the media in the U.S. on Friday, and another story circulated then which uh, said that, quote-unquote, the women won a great victory from the tribunal, where the tribunal, quote-unquote, forced FIFA to respond by November 6th to their demand uh, of the allegations. And, look, I hate to bore you with legal procedural talk, but I, the one thing that everyone seems to be missing, particularly in the United States and the reporting in this, and it's because, it's because the CSA and FIFA don't really talk. And then when the CSA does actually talk, no American at all. So no one sort of understands this stuff. It's, it's truly unfortunate because they're going to have their minds blown when this thing gets thrown out, which I think it's going to happen at any rate. The Tribunal of Ontario did not, quote-unquote, force FIFA to do anything. What they did is they are following the simple procedure that they would follow under every case to ask FIFA to respond as the respondent to the claims that were made in terms of the expedition request. And that's another key thing there, folks. The only thing the Tribunal is talking about right now is the expedition request. They are only talking about whether they're going to hear this case quicker than they normally would. Nothing else is being determined or spoken about right now. And every single report in the U.S. implies very strongly that the tribunal is speaking to the evidence at hand to demand people to respond to that. They have not made a single response to the evidence at hand. They have only made responses to the the application to hear the case this month.
0: Well, to be fair, there was no evidence being presented. We're not at this stage yet, right?
1: Exactly. The CSA has not responded to any of the claims other than to say that they will respond to them forcefully and they believe that they're baseless. They have not actually, in detail, given the tribunal any response to the claims other than to speak to the request to hear the case quicker. I don't think anyone or very few people in the United States understand that. The tribunal has not made, and I'll repeat it one more time, a single ruling. That has anything to do with the core elements of the case. They have only spoken. They have made a single rule, period. But they haven't made a single request based on that. And the CSA has not responded to the core elements of the case. They have only responded to the request to hear the case early. We need to get that stressed.
0: To put it in Lehman's term, to all the people like me out there who just know about law proceeding by watching Law and Order and all those shows. Well, they haven't got to the grand jury yet. So you won't even see the lawyers yet. You're still at the part where you see the detective in the show. So once you get to the grand jury, maybe evidence will be it'll be different. But you know what? I think I agree with you. It won't even get there.
1: Yeah, and we're going to find out. I mean, November 6th was the deadline to respond to the expedition request. Um, and there's a good case that they're not going to hear it early either because basically, I, and I think I've said this before in this show, but I'll say it again now, uh, the main argument that the CSA is using to argue against hearing it quicker is that they haven't responded within the the one one year requirement of, of the tribunal? They have to respond within a year. At any rate, on that note, Kevin, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back after this.
0: Thanks for listening to the Two Solitudes Sucker podcast with Kevin Laramie and Dwayne Rollins. You can reach the guys on Twitter at Twenty Fourth Minute and at Kevin Laramie, or both of them at Two Pod. Reach the guys on email. To Solitude's podcast at gmail.com, but especially subscribe on Stitcher Radio. Now back to the show.
1: And we're back. And uh, like I said, we're going to do a bit of an overview talk between the two of us on the playoffs of this year. Um, and again, we apologize to Charles because that was very insightful stuff that at least Kevin and I got to hear. It was great show prep, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, MLS Cup 2014, Dwayne. First of all,
0: there's a knockout game going on this Thursday, uh, the Red Bulls and Sporting Kansas City, or maybe more the the free falling Sporting Kansas City.
1: Yeah, they're they're fast. Both of those teams, like every team in the playoffs, is interesting for a different level because they are the top teams in the league. They're the top half of the league. Um, it's a bit ridiculous that half the teams make the playoffs, but at <laughs> any rate, conversation for a different day. Sporting Kansas City was flying high up until July. They absolutely, if you looked at every level, both like eye test and objective uh, math test. They all worked out and they all looked like that was the team to beat. I was picking them to be in the Cup final right until about August, until they went into their swan song, uh, (laughs) swan dive, I meant to say. Uh, And then all of a sudden the wheels just fell off. And I'm not just sure whether some injuries mattered, the transfers outs mattered. Uh, I just don't know if they can turn it around, especially playing the Red Bulls um, on the road. I don't know whether uh, I think Kansas City's one-year reign at the top might be over.
0: I think the amount of games they had to play, if you include the U.S. Open Cup, the CONCACAF, MLS, preseason, uh, a long stint in the playoff last year, they had a lot of games to play. And I think it finally caught up to them. They still managed to qualify for the playoff. But I think it's because of the points they racked up at the beginning of the season. The Dom Dwyer was so hot beginning of the season. Every week, it was making me mad that I forgot to put him on my fantasy team. Which is the reason why I quit the fantasy league, by the way. But (laughs) uh, you can tell that over the course of the season, he got a little colder. The whole team got a little colder. The Bieler didn't work out and all those uh, signings. And the keeper was not as good as before. He wasn't bad, Grunbaum, but... I believe that it's the start of the curse of the White Puma. The White Puma was a classic character, a smoker playing, in Major League Soccer has a an aura of invincibility to him, which the whole team had. And I think now, in the world of Charlie Baum, the, the, their aura of invincibility is now gone.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think that here in Toronto, people should realize that Sporting Kansas City... Was playing at a pace worse than Toronto down the stretch. Like that, it's absurd how poorly they played, and they're damn lucky to stay in. I mean, there was a big stretch in the end, seven points, but uh, between uh, Philadelphia, which finished in uh, sixth, and uh, and SKC, but uh, that was just based on the points that they let up. They were huge in front for a long time, and um, it's just it just shows you how quickly things can change in MLS, right?
0: Yep, it's all about how you finish. That's one of the best examples because. They were the favorites for everyone. Every pundit, every soccer head talking about the standings, they were one of their predictions was Kansas City was gonna be way more higher than the fifth.
1: Yeah, and well and certainly I my hand is in the air, I picked them to, to repeat. Um but it's very difficult to repeat in this league.
0: What's interesting uh, in that game, Dwayne, for me is the Red Bulls. The Red Bulls, it's almost like they've been they chose to play that game. They hadn't had the result they wanted the last couple of weeks, but with Bradley Wright-Phillips tying the record, I think it's worth mentioning, of Wondoloski and Roy Lassiter with 27 goals this season. I think if he does one or two, one one per game, the Red Bulls have a shot of going out of that game.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to TFC spending the DP money on Bradley Wright-Phillips and having him score two goals in Toronto next year. Of
0: um, course, that's going to happen, right? This yeah. is gonna, it's the same thing Wando did. It's, it's what happens in a major league soccer. Look at Camilo too, right?
1: Yeah, no, be terrible DP signing. We all know why he's scoring the goals because they may be overmarking someone else on that pitch who may be playing his last home game in New York, uh, unless they win, of course, uh, this this week. And uh, Henri, of course, I'm referring to. Um, he is a wild card, I think. Uh, if that team can, if he can get rolling, he's still, even at his advanced age, is a guy that uh, that can still play at a very high level.
0: When he gets up for a game, that's what—that's literally what it is. When he wants to play in a game, he decides to take control. He can put one or two past you, a couple assists, and it's for nothing, and you're done.
1: Absolutely, and I certainly here in Toronto, there is no player that we have watched more often destroy TFC than Henri. Uh, lots of games, and it's always a weird atmosphere when Henri comes to town because inevitably you'll have, you know. Twenty percent of your uh, of your home crowd, quote unquote, is wearing uh, Arsenal jerseys. <laughs> so it's uh, Barcelona. <laughs> yeah, we see more of the Arsenal here in Toronto, but yeah, it, it certainly um, is a bit weird when Henri comes to town, and it, it, we've been privileged to watch him. He is, I think, by far the most talented player I've ever seen in the flesh. I, I don't think there's even a question, uh, especially. He's still very good, but I think back to the first year he was in the league and yeah. uh, when he came into Toronto, just the amount of skill. I remember a, a game last year in Toronto watching, because uh, Toronto was a mess, right? So I was up in the press box and I did nothing but watch Henri in the second half of a game. And it's just incredible to watch how smart he is off the ball. And that's what I would say to anyone who has a chance to watch a world-class player is to not necessarily watch the obvious stuff. I do you know. So you're sort of stating some obvious things here, but to watch what they do off the ball. And Henri, I think one of the keys to him right now is one of the things he does so well off the ball is he doesn't overexert himself. I was
0: going sounds- to say that. I was going to say he's smart with his movement, not trying to uh, waste energy and save it for the right opportune time.
1: But he's also always looking. His brain is always working. And you can see him walking to places and trying to s- subtly get into space. So that when he does burst forward, it catches the defender off guard. And he's just incredibly intelligent on the pitch. And a, a real joy to watch, actually. So uh, It reminded me of
0: DeVaio the last couple of games. Because that's what I did when I watched the Impact game the last couple. I really focused on DeVaio and his movement and the way he was doing. And it's exactly like you said. He was smart with his movement, not wasting energy. And that's probably one of the reasons why those type of players can play up to 38, 39
1: years old. Yeah. And uh, certainly, you know, it, we should stress that Henri has not outright come out and said he's going to retire. No. Um, however, what I've heard pretty universally speculated is that uh, and it makes a lot of sense is that he is going to uh, announce his retirement effective at the end of the European season. And, and there's a uh, handshake deal for him to go back and finish his career uh Playing in Arsenal, which would be fitting. I mean, I'm not an Arsenal fan, but I can understand why that would be something that would would make sense. And he could contribute at that level still. That's yeah. a thing.
0: All right. Yeah. The next game, we're going to have eventually the winner of that game play DC United. But the matchup that we already know, the crew versus the New England Revolution.
1: And those are that's a fascinating line, or matchup in a lot of ways because the crew are very quietly one of the hottest teams in the league. Uh, They were left for dead for most of the summer. We talked a lot to Charles about this, so I'm sad that we lost this. But uh, they're fascinating to me because they came out of nowhere. I mean, this is a team that Toronto won all three games against, right? And they didn't look like a playoff team. And then they went in in August, and they smacked the LA Galaxy down. They slapped them silly. And that was really their calling card for the rest of the season. And they just got on a roll. It's a young team. It's a very MLS kind of small market team. Uh, that has been built around like good domestic talent, with supplemented with smart um, Higuai? signings. Igway yeah. was
0: one of the best signing ever, right?
1: That's the crew's mo, and always has been. It's kind of ironic, in a way, that uh, that Toronto fans hate crew fans and the crew so much. Sometimes is because the crew do everything right that Toronto should be doing right. They are an absolute. Uh, they do it with so much less, you know.
0: Yep. And, uh... I agree. And there's a point to be made that DC United and the crew resemble themselves in a way because the blue-collar type team that don't have delusion of grandeur, the crew are not the galaxy, but they put everything they need to do on a smaller scale to achieve their level of success. And you never know, when you get on a roll, look what happens right now.
1: Yeah, and when I talk about the special show about TFC, um, I will focus in a lot of that because I think that there's... Um, with Bezbachenko and Vanny that, uh, whether or not you believe that the right person for the, for the role is a different question. But if you look at what they're talking about and you look at it closely, um, thankfully in my mind, the, the model that they're looking to emulate is more DC United and Columbus rather than LA galaxy, Seattle, which is what they did in previous years. And how'd that work out for us? But anyway, back to the playoffs, because God knows I wouldn't know anything about playoffs here in Toronto.
0: Well, and I can't really say anything too, but one game in Houston.
1: Yeah. Uh, New England, Kevin. Let's talk a bit about the Rebs. Uh, Lee Nguyen. If Lee
0: Nguyen can do what he pulled off the last couple of weeks, Dwayne, the crew are up for a dangerous game. Lee Nguyen with his dirty chip and the way he plays with confidence in a small stature on that type of physical league, it's still surprising me.
1: He's the biggest breakout in the league, by the way. Maybe the most surprising player Uh, This is a guy that, you know, yes, he made a tweet of questionable taste, uh, that got him in trouble a few years ago, but that was still no excuse in my mind for the whitecaps to give him away for nothing. Mm At any rate, he's, he's the biggest breakout that, that we can talk about. Um, a lot of people have been picking them as the dark horse, uh, which is why I find this matchup fascinating because you basically have the two dark horses that are out there. And then for the record, I kind of think the crew are the dark horse right now. And if I had to put some money down, um both on. Because when you're betting, Kevin, when you're making a wager, you should look for value as well as sensible in what you think is possible. So if you are a wagerer out there and you can get a get a line in the Columbus crew to, make the, to win the MLS Cup, that would not be your worst bet because you'll get good odds on it. And it's not that not as crazy as it sounds. It's not a bring. sexy
0: pick, but it's a, a statistically probably right pick.
1: Now, that said, might as well segue and we'll focus on the East here and then we'll go and talk a little bit about the West. And like I said, we're going to go a little more focused on the West when we when we set the Vancouver game up. But uh, certainly we'll cover it uh, today as well. Um if you if you were going to pick one, we're not wagering here. We're we're outright just thinking what we think is going to happen. Let's look at these matchups and uh, we'll just go go through it. We'll start with you, Kevin. Um, New York's uh, Kansas City. How do you see that one playing out?
0: New York Red Bull has a, at least a small momentum, having won their last game. Think they'll be having more momentum than Kansas City, and the Red Bulls might be a little fresher than Kansas City. Uh, I say a little because Red Bull had to battle on three fronts as well during the whole season, which is not a small task. But the Red Bulls with the Henry, who has been saved the last couple of weeks, and probably want to have a good legacy in Major League Soccer, and probably going to get up like we were talking about for that game, especially because it's a one-off. So look for the Red Bulls to advance at Rebel
1: Arena. To be the man, you got to beat the man. And I think in New the Orioles are with and I think New York's going to beat the man, though. Uh, so Kevin and I agree on that pick. I, I think Henri is going to be inspired to do this. I think that uh, Kansas City is in free fall, and it's just not possible to turn around this quickly. So uh, Kevin and I agree that New York will be the team that faces D.C. United.
0: But not just that. During the whole season, Mike Petke was focused not on the sports to show like the year prior, but on the on the playoffs. Even if they're in fourth position, their team is the type of team they have is built for the playoff and the type of way they're playing, especially with the speed and the physicality they have in the midfield. We talk about the uh, McCarthy and all that, so it, it could be very dangerous for the Red Bulls after that game as well.
1: All right, moving on to the Columbus-New England game. How do you see that one shaking out, Kevin?
0: You were talking about the crew as being a dark horse. I've watched New England play two weeks ago, and that dirty chip by Lean Wen still haunts me to this day, and for that reason, the Rev will, in my opinion give a great battle and probably win in the home away series but it's going to be a war of attrition
1: i fair enough and it, i think most people will be picking the revolution and and it's understandable wise for all the reasons that uh that you've sort of spoken to the home advantage i think that shouldn't be uh shouldn't be uh not spoken about as well uh i mean that turf there is terrible uh, it's gonna be
0: cold too probably on sunday no
1: and night. you have to think that they they're used to playing on it so that will be uh A bit of an advantage for them that Jermaine Jones has made an impact, uh, much to my surprise. I got to admit, I didn't think it was the greatest signing for a DP, but however, he seems to have fit in pretty well. I'll see whether it lasts for a full year or not, but at any rate, uh, he's there. Uh, That said, you know, I'm going to stick with my guns here. I just think there's something about this crew team, and look, this is going to be ironic for those that listen to me and know that I like the logic, but there's just an intangible factor to crew. To the crew right now and just the way that they've been playing down the stretch, the way that they've been able to do that, I think they're going to smack New England down at home and then they're going to hold on on the road is what's going to happen. So I see the crew actually advancing to the uh, the East final. Uh, Kevin has New England, so uh, we split on that pick. Uh, so let's move ahead to go with the New York, which we both agreed it will be New York uh, versus DC United series.
0: That's a funny matchup. That's a funny game type of a rivalry almost between the two cities. Uh, uh, to be fair, I don't know what's gonna happen. Both team have a shot of doing good in that game, having good goalkeepers. Having so, it's all depend, in my opinion, on, on how Red Bull gets out of that game. If the Red Bull come out with a lot of confidence and on a roll after that Kansas City game, they might have a shot because their first game after that is at home again, and they'll have to win by a goal or two to be fair before going to back to DC United to the old RFK. So. It's going to be an interesting battle. I It's still split to me, but even though DC's been really popular and their favorites and they were able to do well in both CONCACAF and the league, they've won the league, and even second, in, they won the East at least, I still see Red Bull beating DC.
1: Yeah, um, I think under the Henry factor is going to be the key. Uh, I think this is going to be a low-scoring series. Uh, a lot of playoff series are anyway, but I, I think that we're going to see that. And again, Eddie Johnson didn't have card, that sort of breakout, dominant, big striker, can change a game kind of thing. And DC sort of relied more on a, on a whole scale, like a big cast of characters, which is a great way to build a team for a supporter shield or for a conference run where you're going over a whole season. But in a short series, I tend to look at that superstar aspect having a bigger influence So, and and maybe this is a case of us not giving enough credit to DC United, and that very much could be the case, but I kind of agree. I kind of see New York using that on refactor and getting out. So my East final uh, is the the New York Red Bulls versus the Columbus Crew, which is a final that no one would have predicted before the season, but it's what I have. Uh, Kevin's is the New York Red Bulls the the new england or uh, yeah the new england revolution in so boston
0: new york finally a rivalry not really but still almost a rivalry
1: all right so i'll get you let you finish your thought out uh your final of the red bulls versus the revolution uh who do you see uh, coming out of that to go in the the mls cup final
0: i see the rev coming out even though the red bulls will have the star power and everything i think new england with their new star power and lin wen and Jermaine jones like you were saying I think they have a shot of uh, actually making it to the final so I have the revolution in the final
1: all right so Kevin's got the New England revolution in the MLS Cup final the uh, Buffalo Bills of the MLS Cup final <laughs> but at any rate we'll see how he sees it when we get to the other side of this but uh I am going to stick with my guns here again and say that it's the Henri factor that's going to get past the upstart crew, which are going to have better days ahead. So my final is the New York Red Bulls, and I can't believe I'm making that prediction, but that's just how I'm feeling after all this conversation today. So I have Henri in a glory final against someone for all the marbles. probably in the West, but we'll see where it goes. Well, certainly if New York advances, it'll be in the Western team, likely. Uh, on that note, uh, let's move on, Kevin, and let's talk a bit about the West. And again, with the caveat that we're going to go into more detail about this tomorrow, especially the first matchup, which is that uh, Dallas-Vancouver game. But in generalities, let's talk first about the Whitecaps and, and get your thoughts on what they need to do to um, to do something in this, this play-in game.
0: They need to not to rely on luck or just... A moment of brilliance by one player to achieve a result. We all saw what Kendall Watson did in the last game. He gave a victory. one nothing after all. At BC Place, though, with the intangible going to Vancouver's way. And they needed that result to secure their place in the playoff. And they left it all to that result. And for that, it's going to be the last straw that broke the camel's back. Because now they have to go away in a place that it's going to be really hard to play. Very different play condition than they're used to. about the heat in Texas talking about a different type of environment. You're not on the turf. You're not in your own field. So I see Dallas uh, not just winning, but maybe putting on a clinic against the Whitecaps.
1: Yeah. The Whitecaps are a very different team at home. Uh, And I I don't think this is going to be the year that the no MLS playoff games in Canada streak gets broken. I just can't see that happening. Uh, Dallas has been a very funny team. Uh, They started out gangbusters. They had, 16 points in four weeks right like they or sort of 12 points you can't get 16 points at any rate um math is my friend <laughs> and then they went on a big slump and then they sort of recovered their season they are a team that plays a very hyper counter game uh they do not match up on the metrics they are an outlier team in a lot of ways but the top four in the west has been a step above the rest all year and i think that that Gap in class will show in that game. So I think Kevin and I agree that um, that Canada's day in the sun will end in Texas sun very yeah, quickly.
0: just remember the caps were more than... They were like third and fourth and second for like the first half of the season. And it dropped off after. Like you said, cream rises to the top. And the top four in the West are probably the top four in the league. And they really rose to the top at the end, the last stretch of the season... And everybody found their right place. And the Whitecaps, if the season would have continued for a couple of weeks, they might have fell in sixth position and not fifth. So I'm still disappointed by the way the Whitecaps finished their season because they left it all on the one single game that you could say they won because of where they play. And literally, that one goal can describe a whole season. If it wasn't for the home field advantage, I don't think you, they would be where they are.
1: I'll say this. If the Whitecaps can get past that game, and I think that's a big F, uh, that's their biggest challenge. If they can get to a home-and-home home series, uh, two home-and-home home series possibility to get to an MLS Cup final, as absurd as this sounds, I think they're in with a chance against any of the other three teams that, that are there. But in a single game on the road, I just don't see it. And the reason I think the Whitecaps have a chance in home-and-home home series is because they can play it tight, and they've shown in recent weeks that they can keep low-scoring games, and they do have a home advantage. If they could take advantage of that and play defensively-minded on the road, then they would have a chance. But I just don't see that first test as being that easy for them. And that's why the fifth place is such a, a fool's gold kind of kind of thing. Yes, you're in the playoffs, or postseason anyway, but it's really not a playoffs until you have a home game as well. And um, I just don't see it getting so I, Kevin and I both agree that Dallas will advance in that one. So that's a move of focus onto the the matchup that we do know will happen, which is the RLLA Galaxy matchup. Kind of the glory matchup of the first round.
0: Glory of the past and glory of the present. RSL, which is at the end, very far end of their stress of being a dominant team in the league. as I see it because they're not getting any younger. They lost their coach last season. I don't think they've made a lot of improvement with the new. to just continue to riding the same Jason Christ wave. And the Beckermans of this world are not going to continue to dominate with the type of play they do in the midfield forever. So I think it's RSL want to add another cup to their run that they have in 2009. It's now or never, and they're going to face an LA Galaxy team that literally, for their players, it's the last time because Donovan is leaving. Who knows what's going to happen with Robbie Keane. He's still not young, even though he's probably going to play until he's 75. But uh, I see the Galaxy really going all. We saw the whole Seattle and Galaxy rivalry brewing the last two weeks with the Supporter Shield battle that the Seattle, Gal- Seattle Sounders won. But Galaxy, I think, are going to try to uh, secure another, maybe at at least another final for London Donovan, Uh, Western Conference final, that is.
1: Yeah, the the RSL's um, free fall, uh, second half slump hasn't been as dramatic as Sporting Kansas City's, but it's been there. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a team that their metrics were suggesting that they would slip back a bit through the first half of the year when they were playing really well and were near the top of the league uh the galaxy on the other hand outside of that columbus game that we mentioned in august have been just nearly unbeatable and the seattle game as well unbeatable against anyone other than seattle is what i'm trying to say uh, and you fill in the landon factor um you know it, and the bruce arena factor yeah. and just the experience the galaxy have in the playoffs it's hard you know L- not that rsl doesn't have a lot of experience in the playoffs too i just don't think RSL is as good as they have been in past years, and I think the Galaxy really are legitimately a good team. So I, I have to agree with you, and um, we'll also pick the Legend Tour with the big D at the end the there. The L and D. It's going to continue for a while longer. <laughs> I like
0: the Donovan one. That one I liked. Jimmy yeah. Conrad in the van that's with the Dono Van on it. Oh, that was priceless.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so Kevin and I have agreed so far on both of our picks in the West. Uh, that would move to uh, a Dallas-Seattle uh, other other conference final there. Um, what are your thoughts, Kevin?
0: With the second game, probably going to be play around. All right, it's a playoff game, so you won't be able to sell. You won't have the whole season to sell 60,000 tickets, but there'll be 40,000 people for the Dallas and Seattle uh, second match at home. And Seattle at night on a Monday it's going to be hard for anybody to beat that team the way they're playing. I see Seattle probably going out to face the Galaxy in the conference final.
1: All right, fair enough. Dallas is going to win. They should. Oh, wow. They shouldn't. They are. Uh, Seattle's going to panic. They're going to fire Shiggy Schmidt. It's going to be the worst thing they ever did. There's my prediction.
0: Oh, wow. So literally that one game against Dallas can change to f-
1: the, future been- of, Dallas- the future of Seattle. <laughs> I'm being very um, flippant in a way, but in other ways I'm not. Uh, because there were a lot of people calling for Schmidt's head at the end of last year because yes. they lost a coin flip in the playoffs. Um, there's something about the Seattle team that they haven't been able to win in the playoffs. I don't think there's anything, but there's people perceived there to be something and perceived there would be a fault that's fixable there. So Seattle could win this. Yes, I'm being silly when I say that, but I'm going to stick to my guns here and say that Dallas will find a way, because Dallas is a good team.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Seattle is a very good team. They're maybe the best team in the league, but they're they're a good team. That said, I, to talk about the other side of that, there would be a real chance that they could fire them, and that would be absurd, and I think anyone listening to this would agree. However, the playoff mentality of North America has this, mentality, has this belief that somehow people have magic to play, and there's this intangible thing that's out there floating in the clouds that coaches can pull out of the clouds or pull out of their ass or whatever and hand it them. It's simply not the case. Um, so if Seattle does fire Schmidt because he loses a playoff series to Dallas, then that would be shame on them. And it would really kind of hurt them because Jimmy Schmidt is one of the, the greatest uh, MLS coaches of all time. And uh, there was a reason they chased him out of Columbus to, to chase the money there. And if he gets fired, then if he is available as a free agent, I don't care how stable you want to keep your team. Every team in this league should be going full broke to get him on board if that were to ever happen. But however, uh, we'll we'll move on and stay focused on the playoffs. So Kevin and I have a slightly different final setup. Uh, I have the you have the dream final that everyone yes, wants. Yellow Seattle Galaxy.
0: Galaxy for the third time in the last month,
1: and uh, I have uh, Dallas versus uh, Galaxy. Galaxy. So we'll start with you, Kevin. How do you see do you see the same result uh, as we had in the home and home shield?
0: I think the Galaxy will. Uh, prevail though in the playoff because the galaxy and i I think the galaxy did not do it on purpose but i think they kept a little couple of uh free kick plays already written down a couple of already planned stuff in their in their pockets to be ready for a match between the two teams in the playoff and i believe that the galaxy in the playoff because of experience and the uh, ld factor and all those things together if there's one stadium that can be filled and daunting to a team, not as maybe as much as the CenturyLink Field, but Home, Home Depot Center or the StubHub now. Forget it's always a StubHub now. That stupid name Center. It could be really intimidating if it's filled. So LA Galaxy Final against Seattle could be, it's going to be right, it's going to be in Seattle, but doesn't matter. It could be a great final. It, well,
1: it's home and home too. So it's it's, true. it's yeah. true.
0: Oh, it's true. It's yeah. Yeah, I see them up. as the two best teams, so in my mind, they should battle for the MLS Cup, but it's impossible.
1: And LA Stadium is, in fact, Scalper Stadium, yes. Um <laughs> Scalper <too>. Stadium. <laughs> all right, uh, yeah. Uh, look, I, think I have thought all year that the LA Galaxy were the best team in the league. Mm-hmm. And I think that you're right that Bruce Arena does smartly play the system very well. Um, I just got done saying I don't think there is any magic clouds that are intangibles for playoffs. But what there is is there smart coaches that know how to know how to prioritize things so that you're at a peak performance at the right time. And I think that at Bruce Arena. <sighs> although they played everyone there wasn't a rotation going on for those two games you're right that maybe they weren't putting all their tricks out maybe they the intensity might not have been as high as seattle which just clearly would have wanted that a little bit more mm-hmm. um i just think that when the time comes to when the games really matter and these are when they really 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 matter despite what anyone wants to talk about the Sports shield the western final is what matters and um even though I have Dallas in play, but that's the point I'm making, is that, that I think the Galaxy are far and away the best team in the league. So I I do think that the Galaxy are going to be in the MLS Cup final, and it will be at Scalper Stadium. Yep. So, Kevin, your final is the LA Galaxy versus the New England Revolution. Are they the Buffalo Bills still? Yes, and
0: they'll do like what the Buffalo Bills usually do. They'll lose in the finals.
1: Wide right. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, to finish my thought, um I could be real contrarian and say that I think Henry's going to go out with the championship, but I, as I just got done saying again, I think Bruce Allegic <laughs> is the best coach in the in MLS history. I think that the LA Galaxy, this L, this particular LA Galaxy team is one of the best teams in MLS MLS history, and I think the LA Galaxy is going to have give landon donovan the trophy and he will walk off the pitch and into a sunset until he comes back in two years so that's how i see that playing out um so both of us believe that is the two solitudes pick that the la galaxy will win the 2014 mls cup
0: Thanks for listening to the Two Solitude Soccer Podcast on Stitcher Radio with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramie. Subscribe to the show on Stitcher Radio. Listen to the show on Stitcher Radio. Stitcher Radio. Stitcher Radio. Would you just please subscribe to the show on Stitcher Radio. Thank you very much for subscribing to the show. And now, back to the show on Stitcher Radio. Coming soon on Stitcher Radio.
1: And we're back, and we're not going to belabor the review today, because there's a lot of talk about this, and it really didn't matter for two of the three games, mm-hmm. uh, and we're going to talk about the third game in detail tomorrow, right? Yep. So we'll just quickly summarize, and I think we'll, we should start by mentioning the NASL scores. A um, pair of uh, close losses, uh, disappointing losses, especially in the in the Eddie's case, they did this, they do deserve a lot of credit for getting themselves back in position where they, they could have, with a road win, they could have put themselves in a position to win one home game to, to advance to the, the postseason. Uh, however, it didn't work out. They were in tight, in the end. the problem that really belabored them in the first half of the year, which is ultimately going to be responsible for them missing the postseason. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they finished in the top four in the in the second half of the season, the longer season. Uh, they couldn't score, and uh, thus the Eddies were officially eliminated from any chance of the uh, NASL postseason. But I think good times could be ahead uh, for that team, and, and we um, congratulate Colin Miller on a great second half of that year.
0: You remember a couple of months ago, we at the beginning, before the the fall season of the NASL, we were talking about the calendar and how it's going to be different for the Eddies and to travel a lot, and they're going to be not playing as much at home as they thought they would have been and it could have cost him a place for the postseason.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And again, they were one of the worst teams in the NSL in the spring season, um, which just, it's the spring, It's such a weird schedule, right? Like they have this sprint season, basically, which is only you don't always play at home. You have that, that yeah, you, like you said, you have that one less home game. It really is imbalanced and kind of not fair. I mean, hopefully they can fix that moving forward, but uh, it that's why they missed. They, because of their poor play in those first nine games, it's really why they're not there. Because like I said, when they're having a, a full balanced schedule and you're finishing third, you probably should be in the postseason, but those nine games bit them in the ass, and unfortunately that's it. In terms of the Fury, um, it's unfortunate they couldn't get an emotional win at home in their home closer, especially considering the uh, events uh, in Ottawa in the past week, but uh, it didn't work out. Um, Indy 11 with another win there. Uh, the two expansion teams battled it out. Uh, you know, good times ahead, I think, for the Fury, though. They they know what they're doing, by my my estimation. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of great plans, especially in the academy side. Um, it's good to have a fifth team to talk about in this country. Hopefully there are more to come. And, and we know that- the
0: technical staff there knows what they were doing, too. We had Philip Dos Santos on the show a couple of months ago, and we all know Mark Dos Santos, what he can do. So if they can have a stable front office and Maple Stable bench, they'll have a chance to continue to grow as a team, I see. And,
1: and as I said, I, I am just so happy and ecstatic that there is a fifth team to now talk about it, and, and I hope for that sixth one to come soon. And I hope that that sixth one's in my backyard somewhere, because I want another team in this city very badly to talk about. Um, because the one that I have to talk about <laughs> is Toronto FC.
0: You want to start with a clean slate, eh?
1: <laughs> uh Yeah. <laughs> I have been covering Toronto FC in one way or another for eight years now. <laughs> Let's have a moment pause. <laughs> yeah. I have yet to cover a playoff game. One of my favorite things, if I can go a little supporter-centric for a second here, uh, for those that know the supporters' culture around TFC, there are two the two biggest groups, or of course everyone knows the Red Patch Boys, uh, but the oldest group is actually a group called Sector. for those that don't know. and Sector was formed in 2000 uh, to cover a Toronto Lynx game. And what they were was a bunch of like-minded people that were Canadian national team fans for the most part. They went to Toronto Lynx games that wanted to form a supporters key, uh, club. And they wanted to form that supporters club to, to specifically to support the Toronto Lynx in a playoff game. That first game U-Sector ever went to as a group was for a Toronto Lynx playoff game. They had never been to another playoff game as a group. They turned 15 next year. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah.
0: Yeah, there's, and then, nothing else, but there's nothing else I could say. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I that's
1: really all we need to say about TFC right now, right? They lost 1-0. The goal shouldn't have counted. It was offside, but whatever. Who cares? Moving on. How was devio's last game, Kevin? Oh, well, it was as you can expect. He scored. He got a nice painting by
0: uh, one of his teammates. Who actually, he's a pretty good artist. He say uh, if you can have a chance to watch that painting. And if you have a chance, listen to Off the Woodworks, number 17. The Marco Part, De Vido retirement special with five, five guests, and now we're in twenty some minutes with press conferences, goals galore, Italian interviews, Italian description of UFA Champions League goal, and anything else. Well, season's over. See you next
1: year. Yeah, not much to talk about there, and we'll start to set up. Uh, look, there's a lot to talk about in the off season, but both these and there's a lot to review. But as I said, there will be two special podcasts this week where we go into detail about things. We'll do report cards. We'll do. You know, everything that everyone expects for those kind of reviews, it's going to happen in a specific uh, club-focused review. And for the record, we'll do one for the Whitecaps as well, but their season continues. And it continues because they got a very important 1-0 victory on the weekend. It was a little closer than maybe it needed to be, right, Kevin? Oh, yeah. And we talked a bit of it in the final segment about how Vancouver does keep things, uh, you know, their lack of scoring kind of hurts them and and is why they, they struggle as they did uh i think they've really tightened things up at the back a lot and that's why they ended up nicking the the timbers for that spot i don't think we can discount the fact that the timbers were uh playing ccl games uh, and had that playing a role and i think the whitecaps fans are going to learn next year just how much of a drag that can be on a season if you're not one of the top teams in the league and even if you are a top team in the league it can be a drag in the season however the whitecaps are in with a chance based on that win um I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. We've, we've belabored a lot of the Whitecaps' problems all year. Maybe we've focused a little too much on their problems, uh, not enough on, on their, their successes, but um, I think that the important thing for the Whitecaps' review is that they got it. They want to... Let's talk about this. It was a pressure game, and they yeah. did win it. So is that a good preparation for a playoff game?
0: I would, I would say see, yes, but, but they played that uh, game uh, at uh, home uh, again, and I can't uh, stress uh, enough the fact that Vancouver, Vancouver, as much as they are dominant at home and they can control the environment that they do have, when they travel and it's not in their hands, we don't see the same results usually.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, to beat the Dallas, beat Dallas, you, they're going to need to find some scoring on the road and uh, they're going to need to stay as tight as they are. They uh,
0: was- have a tough defense at home. With the Michelle of this world, they're not easy to penetrate.
1: Yeah. As I said, uh, that's, let's leave it at that. And uh, we are going to come back tomorrow. Uh, before. Uh, so you're going to have a, a whole day before the, the game is played. The games are Wednesday and Thursday. Where we will preview in detail uh, the Whitecaps game. We'll get a Whitecaps guest on here. I'll maybe even look to get a Dallas guest. I'm not going to promise anything, guys, but I'll try my best. Uh, and we're going to go into detail with that. Uh, we'll try and get Charles back on again. Uh, it was a great interview, and I'm really sad that you didn't get to hear that and i'm more sad that i took some of charles's time and i'm not able to have it shared but at any rate
0: i'm more sad that the fog got corrupted on my end so i between the takes i was crying in a small bubble in the, in the
1: corner of my room so <laughs> just shaking back and forth yes all right um on that note uh, that's that's call it a day we're gonna have a lot of pods this week as i said just as a quick last review we'll have the white caps playoff preview uh tomorrow where we will look at the west a little more detailed as well uh then i think the next day we'll probably do one of either toronto or montreal uh haven't decided which one yet then we'll come back the day after that and we will review whoever we didn't do the day before and we'll also review the white caps playoff game at that point um in terms of those that listen to our other podcast, our Olympic podcast, five rings at this point in time, uh, Kevin and I have agreed that, uh, that for time reasons, we're probably going to take a one week hiatus on that. Don't worry. It's not going away permanently or anything, but, uh, if something major breaks on five rings, then certainly we'll, we'll address it. But otherwise we'll, um, focus on MLS this week as we set the playoffs. And, uh, as a last reminder, if you're in Toronto and listening to this today, or anywhere in Ontario, that's voting municipally, uh, get out and vote, uh, you know, people died for your franchise, so uh, so go out and uh, exercise it. And uh, no one died to show you MLS games on TSM, but you probably should watch those too.
0: And until tomorrow, have a great soccer.